This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Content is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. I'm Beck Alexander. I am the founder and president of Socialite. And what I love about content is the creators that are responsible for creating it. Influencers. That's a really hot topic these days. For many brands, influencers, and especially micro-influencers, they're seen as a quick fix to engaging on social media, hopefully increasing sales, and potentially growing brand awareness. But is it really as easy as just that? Plugging in an influencer and trying to get your money's worth, or could it be that it's so much more about understanding the human behind the influence and finding the right message and alignment? Coming up, you're going to hear from the co-founder of a company that provides strategic campaign development with a network of more than 10,000 top-level international influencers. You're going to learn crucial insights on the best ways to work with micro-influencers, vetting both brands and influencers, the initial approaches when beginning to work with an influencer, and how brands need to think about content when employing them. Plus, why money might not be the only reason to work with an influencer. You're listening to Content Is Your Business, conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser, brought to you by 24-7 Talent, the leading creative recruitment firm. Your hosts for this episode are Dahlia Strum, Lisa Berger, and Edward Hertzman. And now, here are your hosts. Give you the short rundown. Um, essentially fell into digital and social and content creation. I was a, quote, blogger about 12 years ago out of college. Uh, started a blog with my then business partner talking about fashion news and what was happening in the industry and in the space. And we were sort of one of the first. Fast forward a couple years, we weren't making any money. We sold the blog. I went to corporate America, basically. Uh, we're making any money and you sold the blog. Now that's a story. Right? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. We can talk about that, actually, um, which was very interesting. And while doing corporate, um, doing some social digital marketing strategy related things, I had a lot of friends in the space who had just started, quote, personal style blogging, which wasn't a thing when I was, again, blogging, hate the term blogging. And they were coming to me and saying, you know, brands are reaching out to me. They want to work with me. I don't know what to charge. And I was like, hmm, this is really interesting. You know, we used to charge very specific rates when we were creating native content on behalf of brands on our own blog. It's like, I think I can negotiate these deals. So I went to my friends and I said, hey, I'm a Jew. I can negotiate. Let me negotiate your deals. I'll take 10% of everything that I bring you. And they were like, oh, okay. And signed three bloggers at the time and started Socialite. And that was about six and a half years ago. And to this day, we act as the middleman between influencers and content creators and brands who are looking to work with these influencers and content creators to amplify their brand messaging. So we work with brands, products, and services to help them really gauge, understand, and work with creators. And then figure out a strategy to amplify that content to reach the right customer or consumer. 
So I think what you said before was really interesting, that you weren't generating any revenue and you were still able to sell your blog. How were you able to negotiate that? How did that work? It's a really good question. So the only revenue that we were generating at the time, and this is about a decade ago, was the money that came in from Google Ads, right? So this Mm -hmm. was right in the beginning of this whole like digital content craze. Um, And we were able to sell native content for brands just looking to get some sort of placement on a digital, you know, only website to try to drive traffic back to their site. So at the height of our, um, I guess, like career peak at the time, we were reaching about 5 million monthly uniques, which was huge back then. Right. Um, And brands were just looking to get us to write about them. And at some point I was like, okay, we're not generating any other income in any other way. We would get like two or three hundred dollar checks from Google ad, you know, words um, at the time. And we couldn't sustain we had like friends and family money and like just a couple of people who were like, OK, this might be a thing one day, but none of us know what we're doing. We just really like writing and creating content. So I was like, well, why don't we just start charging brands to write about them? And it seemed like a very gray area because none of us had experience in like journalism, you know, or like what was allowed or wasn't allowed. Like, could you take money from brands? And we we're like, all right, I mean what are we going to do? So we started charging brands at first $100, then $200, then $500, and $1,000 to basically write about them. And it was anything from, you know, their new collections or news about their brand or products that they were launching or whatever it was. And that's how we started generating money. And then at a certain point, we were just tired, to be honest with you. We were running about 130 to 150 stories a day. Wow. We had 20 ex-writers, like about 20 people on the staff writing content 24-7, and we just didn't sleep for years, or what it felt like was years. And it was just like, I don't know how long we can sustain this without really, really making money and growing this. And we just didn't know where it was headed. And at the time, I got an offer to basically go run like social digital marketing, (laughs) um at Richemont and I was like this is a dream career for me like I've always wanted to work with brands like Cartier so I'm just gonna take this job and right as I accepted the job we got an offer to sell the blog from a media company that was looking to just collect sort of a network of content based websites to buy their traffic and then turn it into something else so that perfect timing yeah it was a very weird situation that happened and it was hard to let it go because it was just like the baby yeah you know and i was like all right i'm gonna go see what i can do in corporate america yeah and just wasn't a fit for me so if you if that blog was still around today do you think that there would have still been opportunities to generate more revenue than you did back then do you think that the landscape has changed a little bit um, so a couple ways to answer that question. So we actually bought back the blog um, about three years ago. So we have the domain, we have the blog, there's just nothing on it. Oh. We've talked about multiple times kind of relaunching and what it would look like if we did relaunch it. And we have a lot of ideas on what sort of content for socialite specifically would look like and i would love to do it not as a money generator but into a very crowded space though correct so a very difficult to create content that would stand out now b there's no traffic right so all the traffic is gone which was a huge mistake on the people who bought it like the reason they actually sold it back to us is because they were looking to shut it down they didn't know how to operate it and keep growing the traffic on it and of course as more and more quote blogs came along 
the market became saturated. It was harder and harder to reach, you know, consumers and the content started becoming all the same. Like the one thing that we had that was different than everyone else was we were very opinion driven. So there was a lot of blogs like Refinery and Fashionista and The Cut, who were our biggest competitors, were creating content in the same way that we were because they were getting the same press releases from brands, but they were reporting it as is. It was like, this is what's happening. We would come out and say, this is what's happening, but this is why it matters or doesn't matter or this is why it's bullshit or this is why we should care, why we shouldn't care. And we were trying to drive content that would get you know, people to engage. Like we did a story once where basically uh, my first fashion week, and this was back in Bryant Park, instead of reporting on the collections and what the designers were doing and the pretty clothes, which everyone was doing, I decided to go to the shows and in a notebook keep track of how many white models or ethnic models walk the runway. And at the end of that first fashion week, we actually reported on the sort of racial issue within the fashion industry and saying how 97% of the models walking at in Bryant Park were white. So basically what I was saying with that story is like we were just constantly trying to get, you know, people to to think outside of like just regular fashion news or what everyone else was talking about. Do you feel though that, you know, it's a, it's a catch 22. Uh-huh. It's kind of like the Trump effect where sites during the uh, the campaign so record amounts of traffic because yeah. anything about Trump was was great, right? Of Everyone course. wanted to read it. Yeah. The brands did not want to associate or put their name next mm-hmm. to it because, again, it's it gets very conf- – it's, it's a conflict. Sure. So, again, you, you could create a lot of traffic for having a differenti- you know, point of differentiation. Mm-hmm. But then are brands sometimes skeptical about, you know, aligning themselves with certain, you know – Yes, Opinions. I mean, very much so. I mean, again, like one of the reasons why we decided to not relaunch the blog is because of all the competition right now. And because all we would be doing is creating content that's very much focused on what the business is right now, right. which is influencer marketing. And I think it's a space that actually needs a lot more content. You know, people really don't understand what an influencer even is, how to work with them, how content creation works, what the strategies are, ROI, like all of that stuff. And that's the content we'd be creating now versus reporting on news or trying to drive, you know, engagement from people by reporting on something no one's talking about. So to your point, you know, there's really nothing that we could do now that would, I think, repel brands from working with a content site like that. But then again, to your point, a lot of our influencers know that they could drive traffic and engagement to themselves if they talk about hot topics, but they don't want to. You know, they stay away from those kinds of things because it's too sensitive of a subject for brands. So speaking specifically on influencers, this is something that I rack my brain with. So if you look at some of them and they have millions of followers. Sure. And in some cases, they have more followers than mainstream media TV shows or magazines some of them yes and they're pushing out products and you know whether it's a protein shake or a dress or i don't know some (laughs) bohemian jewelry collection that they make and Mm -hmm. um and some of them are making a lot of money right now a lot of money yes and if you aggregate the sum Uh of a lot of these small people it's like it's it's the uh the long tail strategy they're probably that aggregate number is probably starting to become very substantial and it's eating away at the mainstream brands one person by themselves isn't probably making a dent but Thousands of marketing as a right. whole. As, totally. But yes. the question is, you're 28, you're a fitness model, you're putting up 100 pictures a day, 
You have protein shakes sponsoring you. You got all these things going on. You create a bikini line. You're making a million dollars a year. Is that a sustainable business? One year, two years, three years? Well, maybe you should define like what an influencer is as opposed to just somebody with a lot of followers first. I was going to say, we should get your point of view. Yeah, so can we backtrack that just a tiny bit? Because I think that to that point, that is what a lot of people think Mm -hmm. of when they think of influencers, right? It's like this beautiful bikini looking model who's halfway naked who promotes protein shakes. Right. I mean, I don't. I, it's not that I look at them. I'm just. I hear that people look. At <laughs> Everyone them. looks at them. It's fine. They're super hot. We get it. We all look at them. We all like their content. We all want to be them. It's fine. I get it. So if we can backtrack for like two seconds, we internally at the agency has have put influencers into four different categories, right? Because the term influencer is thrown around a lot right now in the same way the term blogger was thrown around five years ago, right? Everyone was a blogger. Now everyone's an influencer if they have a social following. So to us, it's not about the following. It's specifically why they have a following, what the content that they create is. So there's celebrity influencers, right, who have a following because they have celebrity. So Kim Kardashian, Carly Claus, Cara Delevingne, you know, whoever, Beyonce, whoever that is, right? We don't work with those people. That's not my business. Then there's these, you know, hot bikini, big butt, six pack abs, like modely looking people who are significantly attractive, who are mostly naked, who have a following because they're hot. And you know them? Yes, so many of them. Oh, that's good to know. Do you want a connection? <laughs> Girl <up>? or guy? <laughs> no problem. Wow. <laughs> wow. Guy can't wear a, wear a turtleneck around here. <laughs> so essentially, those people have a following because they're very attractive, right? They're usually on a beach. They're halfway naked. They're promoting whatever, as you said, protein shakes or skinny teas or a workout routine. And everyone's like, I want to be them. I want to date them. Usually, their following is mostly the opposite sex, right? We don't work with those people because of those reasons. And I can get into more of that if that's what you want. So then there's the two leftover essentially buckets of what an influencer is. So that other category, you would Mm -hmm. classify that more as followers as opposed to an influencer because they're probably not influencing purchase decisions, right? Correct. Yes. There's really nothing that I could give them as a product. But aren't they selling their own workouts or they're they're promoting a gym or they're promoting a a fitness uh, shake. I'm sure they are. I'm in the business of luxury. So I work mostly. That's where the money is. You know, I sell a luxury lifestyle, you know, and the influencers that I work with, which are essentially in two different buckets for us, are the people that promote a specific lifestyle that is, you know, to some degree attainable or that people want. So we consider the influencers content creators. I don't love the term influencer, so internally we call them content creators. They are the people that look at a platform like Instagram and they are telling their life, you know, their story about who they are through the platform. And they're creating content that essentially gets people to follow them because of that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And the reason there's two different buckets is the one bucket is, you know, I'm a regular person who's slightly more attractive and slightly more fashionable than the average person who lives a slightly better life and I'm just posting photos of myself. So this is me and what I eat, what I wear, where I go, where I travel to, the experiences I have, and I'm just posting a photo of what that looks like. And people are following that person because they're essentially the reality TV star of, you know, social media. Mm-hmm. And then there's this separate type of content creator which essentially creates content that is incredibly curated 
and editorial looking where every single piece of content could be taken completely out of their Instagram feed and put into a magazine. Mm -hmm. It's very high quality. It's not just about, you know, them. It's set up. It might take days. You know, they're scouting locations. Mm -hmm. They're creating these like beautiful images that are curated in their feed. They're usually edited very similarly. And it's like a completely different look and feel. How much of this is real? I I almost call it social media depression. So I'm sitting during, hold on. I'm sitting in during Christmas. (laughs) All right. Yes. In Pakistan and Bangladesh. Not because there's that there's a a villa there to go, you know, to go and a beach to go lay out on. Great. I was there for business. Mm-hmm. And you go on Instagram mm-hmm. and everyone is in Tulum or in the Greek islands or yep. in the Maldives. And I know what I do for a living and I know what I earn. Correct. And I have a sense of what they do for a living, which I guess is nothing. And, and I can equate to what they earn. And there is no way these people, 365 days out of the year or 10, wearing uh, $5,000 pocketbooks, and traveling to $5,000 a night hotels. But yet they are on Instagram. They are. Mm-hmm. now Because how... they actually live that lifestyle. If you're asking how they're doing it, to be fully honest with you, because the hotel probably offered it for free as an experience, they most likely just paid for the flight. Right? And the flight's not that yeah, expensive. Yeah, but you still have to... You ha- <laughs> what, what I'm saying is I could take... Perception and reality are two very different things. If I want you to believe mm-hmm. that that is my lifestyle, mm-hmm. I could cut up three or four vacations I I mm-hmm. take a year and I could take my watches every morning and take a picture of them and the, the bags from Barney's and the lunches at Fred's and make you believe that I am an heir to a Saudi Arabian oil tycoon. That's sure. not the reality. I'm going to go home tonight and make zucchini pasta. But that's not going to get 10 million followers. Unless I want to, it might. It could. It depends on your story. It could. That's the thing. There's a niche for that, maybe. But what I'm saying is, how many of those people are are truly authentic, or is it really just? Well, I think this is like. So, who are your content creators? How are Mm -hmm. you vetting them? Where are they coming from? And then, how are you? And then, why are the brands aligning with that specific one? Yes. So. They are authentic, right? A lot of people don't think they are, but they do live that lifestyle, but they've worked really hard to get there. You know, someone doesn't just wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to be an influencer and I'm going to fly to the Maldives. And then that's the first day where they become a content creator who now lives this lifestyle. That's not how it happens. You know, most of the influencers that we work with started years ago. They built up their following over time by, you know, creating an authentic connection with their following and their following has grown over time as they've grown and as they've started living a more luxury lifestyle, if that makes sense, because they've gotten more brand work, right, which gives them more money. They've made more connections. They have more people reaching out to them for partnerships. And that includes hospitality. Mm -hmm. Like for hospitality, how difficult is it to say, hey, influencer X, come to my property anytime. We'll give you three free days. Great. No, I was sitting, you know, in, I was sitting in Miami, and next to me was a, a couple and, and and their young son, and they uh, had a fancy camera, and I'm like, why the hell are you bringing this camera to the pool? They go, we were, you know, uh, whatever hotel said we'll give sure. you three nights and they, you, you eat breakfast here and dinner here and exactly. Take, and but he said, look, I'm an electrician by trade. That's how I make 95 percent of our money. Mm-hmm. And for me to get a vacation basically for free to take my family down here and 
wear a couple board shorts and wear a tank top that a brand gave sure. me and created an experience around it. But that's not how I make the vast amount of money. And mm -hmm. unless me and my family really want to go here, mm -hmm. it's still costing us money. So it's it's he's there's if you follow him on on Instagram, he looks like he is a living a high life. But there's a real life behind that. Mm -hmm. So most influencers, in order to get their following and to keep gaining that following, will actually tell that life. You know, there's influencers out there who sit there and say, I have a job and this is my job and this is what I wore to work today. Like Blair Eady, I think she does a pretty good job at she that. She does. Yeah. Correct. So she's very transparent about the fact that she works for Tori Birch and like – Everything that she's doing, she's doing it on the side. Is there enough money to be made to? Blair could have quit her job sure. a long time ago. Yeah. So, so what, what so is it? What, sure. is a, uh, what is it? What is the top ten percent of this field making? Millions. And how long is this going to last for? To be honest with you, um, no one really knows, right? I'd love to sit here and say that it's forever. Um, it may not be. I think in the but same way that it is now. It is currently changing. But what? this is so. the same idea as celebrities, right? Like we've always been a very celebrity-driven culture. So yes. we we tend to give a ton of money to celebrities. Now we're just taking it down a little bit. So instead of saying, all right, I want one celebrity, you could have like 10 influencers. Yeah, it, it's, a mi it's the age of the micro-celebrity. So it's like it's in your <laughs> niche. He's channeling again. So there's, he is channeling. I know. He um, wants to be a celebrity so badly. Well, there's the micro influencers there's yep. the macro influencers but then there's also the equal equal pay that i think we want to talk about <laughs> no, no. See, i guess you know my question was probably wrong things this will go on forever the question is to what some is, degree yes. what is the lifespan of an individual so you may have a business forever it's just like a modeling agency there's always the next next top model the question is how long is the lifespan of that model or the nfl the NFL's not going anywhere, but you could have a three-year deal and be do out you, by 25. Do you, have like a, do you have a top influencer that you're constantly putting out in front of? Yes. And that influencer, so for example, we discovered one of our top influencers. We discovered her when she had 20,000 followers, let's just say, or 30,000, I don't remember. And now she's close to a million. And she's completely changed, you know, her style and her photography and the way that she tells her life and et cetera, et cetera. But any day now, like she's going to get engaged and it's going to become the story of her planning her wedding. Then she's going to get married. Then, you know, she might buy a house and then she might get pregnant and then she becomes a mommy influencer. So the lifespan could continue as long as to your point, she keeps creating content that is engaging and authentic to her audience. And as long as that keeps being the case and her audience doesn't call her out for being fake or pushing product to them that doesn't resonate with her audience or what, you know, selling out or whatever you would potentially call it. She's going to keep making more money, mm -hmm. doing more collaborations, traveling to better locations, you know, and having bigger and bigger experiences that are just going to circle back to how she shares things with her audience. Yep, I agree 100%. So like many of our guests, Becca has been gracious enough to bring a snack for all of us to share. <laughs> I'm actually really excited about this one. Um, so it's kind of breaking bread, and this is a tradition that we've been doing since the beginning. Yeah. So Becca, why don't you tell us what you brought? Okay, uh, so I And also was why. Yes. <laughs> um, I brought vegan chocolate chip cookies from By Chloe. A, because By Chloe is like the hottest thing right now and every influencer loves going there and telling everyone that they're vegan. But because... Hashtag at Chloe. Hashtag, you know, yes. Um, I also think they're the best chocolate chip cookie in the city. 
And then also because there were some dairy concerns in this room, <laughs> which is important. Is and because I couldn't bring bananas. <laughs> no. They weren't blessed by a rabbi, but I can bless them for you really quickly. Amen. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. 24-7 Talent connects top brands and agencies with exceptional creative, marketing, and digital talent every day. Whether you're looking for the right position or to hire the very best talent, 24-7 boasts more than 500,000 vetted and interviewed freelance and full-time candidates. Experience the difference at 247talent.com. That's 24-S-E-V-E-N-Talent.com. Becca. Uh, I noticed when I said the word micro-influencers, you made a face. Why did you make a face? To the audience, I can't describe the face, but she made a face. Damn it, describe my face. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a sort of... Love-hate is probably a strong term, but love-hate relationship with micro-influencers. We love them because they are just starting out. They're creating really incredible content. They're most likely the next, you know, million-dollar influencer, and we need to watch them as they essentially move forward in their career. They have great engagement. They're really good at speaking to their audience and really, like, responding back to them, engaging with them. But on the flip side, a lot of them don't quite understand the business of influencer marketing and what goes into actually being an influencer from the back end, right? They don't fully understand contracts and what it's like to work with a brand in a very, very specific capacity. But isn't that what you do? Isn't that why you come into the equation? Correct. So we're the middleman. So we are contracted on behalf of brands, and then we go out and find the influencers to contract. So when we work with a micro-influencer, it's possible that we are the first agency that sends them a 12-page contract. And sometimes they freak out. And sometimes they don't respond back ever again. You know, And sometimes because we're not paying them that much money because they're a micro-level influencer, they decide halfway through the campaign that they're no longer interested. It's too complicated. They what don't would wanna... be some yeah. of the things that a big P&G brand would ask for a micro-influencer? Of a micro-influencer. In terms of content? In terms of content. The same thing they would ask for a large level Which influencer. would be what? What is in that 12-page document, which is uh, indemnity and, uh, you know, all the legal jargon? Correct. So um, it's it's usage rights. Okay. Which so, is very important these days, So let's right? throw all that out there for the uh, – we don't have to get into the legal aspect of it. Okay. Assuming you are who you are and you don't steal any photos and publish them under the, the guise of Correct, somebody else. Correct, in perpetuity for yeah, – Et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, but yeah. what is it that you want these people to do? The micro-influencers. Yes. That's what you're saying. 
I want them I'm a micro influencer. You are Kleenex. Le- what do you want me to do? Blow my nose jargon, into- right? <laughs> so I'm going to send you a product and you're going to create an image that features that product. Whatever the creative guidelines for that image is, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking specifically to timelines that people don't understand, right? People don't, don't understand the they market. They don't meet, right? Like they, they don't meet, correct. Right. They don't realize that if they just miss a day because they didn't feel like shooting content or they got sick or they, you know, had to go visit a family member or they just decided to go to Florida really quickly, that them missing a deadline is actually significantly a like that just affects and impacts thank you the entire campaign because you have a could be a ton of people on that exact day trying to get out to the market and push that product correct is there like a level of engagement though that the brands want to see with the audience that they're that this influencer has yeah so if there's a strategy where as you just said all content on behalf of all contracted influencers has to go live within one day and sometimes within a 2 hour period because we're trying to create virility and influencers mm-hmm. don't get that done we're screwed as an agency right because right. we signed a contract on behalf right. of the brand that says that we will deliver So are you this following up? You. I was to say you're this is the talent management part so This then... is the talent management part. So yes. I mean I can tell you Any influencer that's been in the space long enough understands, put aside contracts for a second, right? They get contracts or they have a a parent or a sibling or whoever who read the contract, redlined it. We got to a place where everyone's comfortable. We signed off. Now we're in content creation mode, right? You create a piece of content and needs to be submitted to the brand for approval as a draft. So both the image and and the caption. Correct. So we're the middleman. So it comes to us. We look at it to make sure that it meets all the guidelines of what was discussed. And then we send it to the uh, to the brand. And sometimes we're sending 100 pieces of contact uh, content to the brand at the same time. And then that all has to go live at a specific time when it was contracted to go live based on the strategy that we created. Right. Sometimes an influencer or two falls off the face of the planet somewhere in this process. So if you, if 98 out of 100 come through, that's got to be still pretty significant. It is, but I'm still contracted for 100. So Right? So by the time they fell off the face of the planet, right, and we realized that now we have to replace them because we've tried emailing them 20 times, you know, calling them, texting them, direct messaging them, trying to reach out to their mom or their boyfriend who they tagged once on Instagram three weeks ago, and none of that works, we go into crisis management mode where it's like, how quickly can we replace this influencer to make sure that we are meeting our contract on behalf of the brand. And then within your contract, so it, this is a known thing. Influencers will post something and then the next day or next week they'll take it down. So right. how so, does that affect their authenticity? How does it affect just what your what the brand expects of them? Mm-hmm. So for us, we noticed that that was happening about a year ago. Yeah. Like a couple of people posted content, deleted it the next day or the day after or whenever that was. Yeah. We actually, as soon as we saw it being a trend, we put it into our contracts that you not you cannot delete sponsor content for a year. Wow. And we will go after people. Do you think that now that this has become such a substantial business mm-hmm. that the average reader of mm-hmm. someone's feed starts to – it starts to lose the authenticity because they're always pushing a product, a product, a product, a product, a product. Maybe I don't like those shoes. Maybe I don't like that white teethening strip or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But at what point does it be tip, you know, the point where it's diminishing returns? 
Yeah, so the consumer is really smart, right? They know what they're looking at. And most of the time on the influencers that are, again, the most authentic with their audience, what we're actually seeing, and this is from our backend technology that we've built, is... A, we're looking for a 50-50 ratio of sponsor content to organic content. And B, we're looking at specific engagement levels on sponsored content to see if an influencer has the same engagement level on a piece of sponsored content than on a piece of organic content. And usually it's about the same, which means that their audience doesn't care that the content is sponsored as long as what the message is or what the image is, is again, authentic to Very their interesting. audience. And do you guys feel like you give creative direction? We do. Or, and how, how does that work? Yeah. Like- so interestingly enough, the whole actually casting an influencer is like the last piece of the equation for us when it comes to brand strategy. So a brand comes to us as we're looking to promote this product or this service, let's just say, and they have a certain amount of money allocated, we will create the entire strategy of what that looks like. And then the last piece of the equation is what we call insert influencer. So we will figure out, you know, what is the product? How are you looking to promote it? What are the KPIs of this campaign? What are you looking to achieve in terms of ROI? What should the content look like? How should the bag be photographed? What is the key messaging that we're looking to deliver? What is the timeline? You know, how should we spread the budget? Should it go to one large influencer, three medium-sized influencers, 100 micro-level influencers? So we figure all of that out. And then the last piece is who are the influencers that make the most sense for this campaign based on these other like sort of strategy points. So the way that they typically work with you, they'll give you an overarching budget, right? And that overarching budget, then you're able to determine, okay, this is the amount of money that we can allocate towards those influencers. Correct. You determine that number or they determine it? We determine it. Yep. So we go back to the brand and say, again, based on what you're looking to achieve in your KPIs, maybe one celebrity level influencer. So makes if someone the gives most you a hundred grand, you know that someone of this many followers is worth ten thousand, and someone of this is worth one, and this one's product only, and this one's worth fifty, and this one's worth. So you kind of have that guideline. Correct. So do you have that guideline, or does Tribe Dynamics have that guideline, or did they set that guideline? So we have that guideline internally. Uh-huh. There's a couple sort of tech platforms or tools that have come out and created their own metric on what that looks mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. So the the way we price influencers is based on their following, their engagement, and how in demand they are. So my 7,000 followers, what's that worth in real dollars? I'd give you $43 for a sponsored piece <laughs> That content, is very specific. But I would take 20%. <laughs> Listen, I'm very reliable. And if you want me will to- Will you respond to emails? I res- I, at all hours of the day. He will wear any watch you want him it, to. No, no, that is not true. It has David to be- Wellington. No, no. no. Please. Clues. No. Great. Never mind. I Timex. That's no. It has to be uh, solid gold. Okay. Or IWC's a client. Gold. We like IWC? I would wear IWC. Great. Uh, Portuguese. Uh, chronograph, rose gold, a grave dial with the gray band. Fine uh, timepieces, luxury shoes, bespoke suits, casual activewear. He doesn't wear. care about the money. He just wants the products. Yeah, yeah. yeah 40, I'll give you all 100% of it. So that's actually a really good segue into how we vet influencers. Yes, yes, Let's get right. back on topic. Yes. So when an influencer comes to us and says they either want to be represented by social light or they want to be part of our network. And our business is essentially split into two. We have a representation sort of division where we manage influencers exclusively. There's about 50 talents assigned to us for management. And then the other 
piece of the business is strategy. So it's the brand side. Brands come to us, you know, build out the strategy. Who are the influencers? On that side of the business, we're influencer agnostic. So we will cast from every single influencer that exists on the planet as long as we've vetted them for specific kind of like our own internal metrics, Mm -hmm. right? So when an influencer comes to us and they look good, meaning they have a decent following, you know, above 10K usually, their Mm -hmm. content is really good. That was specific for you. Uh (laughs) You gotta work a little harder. Yeah. Close. You're so close. So, close. <laughs> so the content looks good. The engagement looks good. We put them in the back. Uh, the We sort of input them into our technology. And then we see that their audience is authentic, that they have grown, you know, over a certain amount of time, well, that their sponsored content to not sponsored content is equally engaging, like, et cetera, et cetera, right? All of these data points that their audience isn't based in India, you know, whatever that... <laughs> That means it's inauthentic, most likely. What happens so. if I have a huge following in uh, Mumbai? And you Which live in does. New York, and yeah. you're a New York-based influencer, most likely you bought your following. I'm global. I'm, glo- I'm, a, I'm international. He's a global citizen. He's very global. I'm international. He travels a lot. Yeah. So if it looks like globally you're reaching a certain amount of people across like five major cities, then that makes sense. But if you're a New York-based influencer who's creating content in New York and you don't travel outside of New York and 98% of your following is in a completely random city like Bangladesh, most likely it's fake. Country? Country? Sorry. Dhaka would be the city? I apologize. I apologize. Should we to, re-record? No. Yeah. To my to my brothers in Dhaka, I am sorry. To that point, though, anyone who has money can grab anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen brands sort of Never, ever work with an influencer, put aside $100,000 for influencer marketing and go find an influencer like Leandra, who's really hard to get because they've had the money. You know what I mean? But my... She's hard to get? She is hard to get. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Well, also, she separated herself from Man Repeller. Right. So it's, you know, are you looking to work with Man Repeller as a media property? Because now they sell the blog as media. Or do you want Leandra as a human? If you want Leandra as a human, it's not attached to Man Repeller. It's actually a separate manager that negotiates her deals. Right. And then it only lives on her Instagram. So, like, it's, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying, like, technically anyone with with money can get anyone. Mm -hmm. It just comes down to why. Like, why did you choose to go after mm-hmm. Song of Style, right? Like, you have 50 grand, you mm-hmm. can pay Song of Style, but why? Mm-hmm. Like, why did you choose her? Was there any thought behind it besides, like, she's big or she's pretty or she seems popular, right? It's our goal as an agency to figure out why and then figure out the strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I right? think that also adds to your retention efforts, right? So- it does, because the the sort of, again, KPIs for every mm-hmm. single brand is different. Like, mm-hmm. there's no, like, um, what are they called? Like, like, there's no template for this process. There's no, like, insert brand, insert strategy, insert influencer. Like, I wish I had built technology mm-hmm. that was like, you have this amount of money, these are your KPIs, this is the brand, and then it pops out influencers. Totally. Why don't you have that? I would <laughs> I use know. that. That's so good. <laughs> I mean, that's that's somewhat of a we'll SaaS platform, hacker, hacker which some people it. have <laughs> built, right. but that's more based on very specific, like, analytical metrics. Yeah. To me, it's not just analytics. Like, 
like we will never become a SaaS platform, even though it is very difficult to scale an agency and like running hundreds of campaigns a week, a month, like whatever that looks like is difficult. It requires manpower, but we will never do that through technology because at the end of the day, as you said, technology can't measure the fact that something Navy is currently pregnant again. Like, yes, you can scrape her Instagram account and find keywords that will tell you, like, this person is currently pregnant, but you need to follow this person and know who they are to know their life story, to know that, like, you know, they started here and then they got married and who their husband is and this is their baby and now she's pregnant. She just bought an apartment in Flatiron. Like, we know a sickening amount of information yes. about but these we people. we know it because she shares this, that all that information. Correct. But I'm day, saying right? if you're a brand, right. you would never know that. Like, you, you follow her as a consumer consumer but as a brand who's just like i heard of something navy like you don't know those things about her so on the back end like our technology for example can give you every metric you want to know about her audience Mm -hmm. but it still doesn't tell you about who she is and at the end of the day what brands don't understand Mm -hmm. i think this goes to your point Mm -hmm. is if you're working with one person, you're working with 100 people, you're working with people. Right. They're still people. They're no, humans. They're not a media property that you yep. can just pay to take your content that you created and put dollars you know, against it and now it shows up in print. Right. They're people. And every single one of them is an individual that works in a very specific way, that creates content in a specific way, that shares that content in a specific way with their audience. And then their audience engages with that content in a specific way. So when you're doing, you know, one campaign where it's one brand and one product and 100 people, it's actually 100 different campaigns. Yeah. Because every single one of those individuals, that piece of content that they're creating was specifically Mm -hmm. negotiated, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of what the direction of that content looks like with Mm -hmm. that content creator. Mm -hmm. It's never a hundred pieces of content that look exactly the same. And I think that's what people really still don't get. They're just like, we're going to throw money at influencers Mm -hmm. and like, we're going to get this. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's like, a hundred different personalities. But then do you get approached... So I've, I've seen different campaigns, right? Like you see different campaigns featuring uh, influencers with a specific mm-hmm. product yeah. or like wearing a specific outfit. But what about like experiential yeah. uh, type of influencers? So like grouping a bunch of them together and going on a trip. Like yep. how does so that differentiate? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so that became popular probably in the past year yeah. maybe? Yeah. Like year and a half? Like with Revolve Around the World doing things where basically influencers, and this is kind of funny, influencers have always been seen as like lone wolves, right? A lot of them share their life, but they don't share a lot about their life, really. Like, right? They're not sharing like who their friends are. What does their family look like? Do they have a boyfriend? Do they have siblings? Like you're limited in seeing who their circle is around them. Right. So just sort of historically they've always been by themselves like in photos right and then what people noticed is that influencers are friends with other influencers because they share a similar lifestyle you know they're going to the same events they're invited to the same sort of experiences and then people started posting similar content together and seeing double the amount of engagement on that content because you have people who are following, you know, two people or three people or five people. Mm-hmm. And now they're crossing over and sharing audiences and each one of them is growing. Mm-hmm. And then that makes it seem like the content is more organic or authentic because now, look, they have other human influencer friends. Yeah. 
So brands started coming to us and saying, we don't just want one person or five different people. We want five people who are friends with each other, who have similar, you know, or even different aesthetics, but who come together well, who can shoot each other's content, who can tell the story Mm -hmm. in a completely different way than I'm going to send you a product. I'm going to pay you. You're going to post that product. It's how does that product almost like live within a a lifestyle? It is a reality show. (laughs) It's very much a reality show. And this, again, goes back to like people and their personalities like some people will post about their husband and their kids and you know that they're pregnant or all these things and other influencers are like I will never post about my personal life like Mm -hmm. I don't want people to know that I date around and I'm on tinder and I'm like going on dates or one of our top influencers has had a boyfriend for five years no one knows that and until she gets engaged and there's a ring on her finger and she's planning a wedding Mm -hmm. she won't talk about him Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it's just different mindsets, you know, because sometimes they want to come out and say, hey, this is my boyfriend. And maybe six months from now we broke up and it happens Mm -hmm. because it's life. And that's, you know, c'est la vie. Mm -hmm. And others don't. But we've seen that the ones who are more authentic, who come out and say, like, this is my life and this is my family and this is who I'm dating. And maybe we broke up and I started dating someone else. Like, shit happens. They're the ones who are growing. They're the ones who are reaching a new audience while maintaining that old audience that has grown up with them and have followed their lives for, you know, this long. So to your point, that's how you stay away from being stagnant. Mm -hmm. You know, you keep having different experience to keep bringing in different people into your life like you know and sharing those experiences and you don't have to keep getting married or keep getting pregnant you can have (laughs) but i'm saying like even right down to like traveling right like that's what i personally love about Mm -hmm. like i love how much she travels i love experiencing that virtually because it's not realistic for me to be able to travel the world like she does right now. It's just not possible. But right. I, but I'm living vicariously through her, and I just feel like she hasn't been traveling as much. So it's just fascinating to me, right? Yeah. So obviously something's going on that she's not talking about as much, but I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> or you won't. Or you know, she yeah. might not talk won't. about right. it. So to kind of segue that conversation, yeah. what's your favorite brand experience that you've you've worked on, and and how were you able to measure it? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think favorite in terms of content um, has been some of the travel trips we've done. So we work a lot with hospitality, as mentioned. So it's yeah. either hotels or resorts, um, tourism boards, uh, you know, sort of destinations mm-hmm. have been great. Uh, we've done every single year for the past probably five years, a trip to Thailand um, with the Thailand Tourism Board for Influencers. Yeah. We did a trip to Fiji a couple years ago. We did a trip to Guam. We've we've done, obviously, like, the Caribbean. So we've done Jamaica with the Tourism Board. We've done Nevis and St. Kitts, like, islands that most people haven't heard of. I'll mm-hmm. be honest, like, islands I didn't hear of until the Tourism Board reached out to us. Yeah. And mostly because the content becomes really easy to create and beautiful. The influencers are really excited to participate in a trip. So a lot of times they'll even do it for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't require a lot of money, um, you know, from whoever is sponsoring uh, mm-hmm. the, the the trip. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have the group and they're experiencing things together and you're getting really cool content out of each mm-hmm. and every one of them. And then they go above and beyond because they're on an experience. And not it's not just like, hey, here's a product, photograph it. It's like, here's five days of experiences, photograph whatever you want. And a lot of times they'll even make it seem like they're there for a week or two weeks. 
because they have all of this really good content that they want to share. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times people are like, holy shit, you've been gone forever. And the influencer are like, actually, I've been back in New York for like two weeks, but I'm still sharing, yeah. you know, content from right. Thailand because I have so mm-hmm. much of it. Yeah. So you're getting a lot more ROI for brands if you're sending people on some type of experience. And even so, like, so spirits has become a really big category for us in the past few years. Mm -hmm. A lot of times spirits brands are hosting, you know, events. Mm -hmm. And the events are, of course, experiences in their own way. And they, they specifically create these, like, photographable moments for influencers in order to entice them to create content at the event. Yeah. And we do a lot of... Um, I guess like uh, seating, what is it called? Like mm-hmm. event invites for people. Part of it is paid. So people have to show up and create content. A lot of times it's just sending an invite to the right people. A lot of times it's sending them the product, you know, before the event, et cetera, et cetera. There's a huge difference in engagement from when you send someone a bottle of vodka and ask them to post about a bottle of vodka in their home. Cause you know, like who sits around at home drinking mm-hmm. okay you know, a vodka martini and like showing the bottle. (laughs) And then like the difference between content of an influencer going to a really cool event where there's something happening, there's a scene, there's art, there's an experience, there's music, and they're having a cocktail, right? Like that is more authentic. Mm -hmm. And the best part about Spirits brands, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, that you guys can (laughs) do your thing, is the ROI, like the metrics are very different because they're not expecting sales right like yeah it's brand awareness Mm -hmm. anything that's brand awareness right at the top of the marketing funnel exactly it's significantly easier for us because Mm -hmm. you're just looking for sentiment which is hard to measure but Mm -hmm. you're looking for really really pretty content that reaches as many people as possible you're not hoping that someone goes into their local looker store and says hey mo i want this one bottle of you know whatever it is because i saw an influencer post about it last night eventually you do right like eventually that's kind of how skinny girl grew right so yes yeah exactly i mean eventually you're hoping that enough people recognize a brand Mm -hmm. that the next time they're shopping for whatever that product is they'll recognize that brand over other brands right that's Mm -hmm. what you're really hoping for and the human brain takes um about seven times to see something for it to register as something Mm -hmm. that they want yeah so the hope is you see that product enough times through the influencers that the next time you're in a store you're like i'm gonna buy Mm -hmm. that product because i recognize and remember that product right which is how one of our programs called the Product Bomb works, where essentially, as we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. we get a certain amount of people talking about one product at the same time and then make sure that their audiences overlap at least 10% so that when someone's looking at their feed, someone like me who's a consumer who's probably following, let's say, 20 of the 50 influencers is seeing that product over and over that that mm-hmm. day I'm like, holy shit, all my favorite people are wearing this product. Now I want the new Chloe bag. Yeah. yeah. That's totally. like what you're hoping for. Right. So what is your vetting process? But by vetting process, what is your vetting process not only for influencers but for brands? It's a really good question because no one ever asks me on yeah. behalf of brands. brands. And we're yeah, very, exactly. very specific on yeah. brands that we work with. Especially because you mentioned that you focus on luxury, luxury. right? Mm-hmm. So Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on the influencer, as I said, it's about their content. 
their engagement and then the back end metrics mm-hmm. that we look at to make sure everything sort of measures up. So everything looks real and authentic and engaging. Um, we look for influencers who don't post giveaways. That's a really big thing for us. So no like loop giveaways to try to grow your traffic. Um, no random spikes in traffic that can't be attributed to anything, you know, real. Again, like that their um, audience demographics are similar to where that influencer is located mm-hmm. because we do a lot of campaigns that are very specific to a geographic region. Yeah. So we need influencers who have a strong following in New York or in LA or in Atlanta or in Chicago or in Cleveland mm-hmm. or wherever they are versus like global citizens that are spread out, which are still good for other campaigns. But a lot of things that we do, the brands are very specific that they're looking to reach, you know, a localized um, audience. Which is actually fantastic because it's very hard to segment that through other routes, right? So Mm -hmm. the fact that you guys are able to segment by location is amazing. Yeah, I can actually tell you, like, if you work with these 10 influencers that are based in New York, who all have at least 70% of their audiences in New York, Mm -hmm. if we do this campaign based on their sort of reach, this is approximately how many New Yorkers you're reaching. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And then what about the male-female so male female ratio. Um, most of our influencers are female because that's just right. how the space works. Sure. It's dominated, I feel like. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple years ago, we decided that no one was really looking at the male influencer space, and there were male influencers popping up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brian Boy's been around forever, but he's more considered almost like on the female side because he wears women's fashion more so than men's wear. So as the male influencers started popping up, we're very specifically talking about menswear. We're like, hey, this is an opportunity. Like no one is looking at the guys and menswear is a big market. There's tons of male-centric brands, especially as we started going after automotive and spirits as a big category. So we decided to sign the guys basically and just grow our roster of male influencers. And interestingly enough, um, this conversation we've been having internally a lot based on what's, you know, everyone is talking about, the male influencers make significantly less money than the female influencers. And I'm pretty sure I can make the statement mm-hmm. that it's probably the only industry, you know, air quotes, <laughs> where males are making less money than females. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I would love for someone to chime in, but no, essentially, I'm pretty sure that's true. It's, it's, I'll agree with that. Yeah, you would know actually. Yeah, <laughs> we have an expert true. here, and yes. it's really interesting because as everyone is talking about like female equality and like females making less money in the workspace, mm-hmm. I have male influencers that work twice as hard as the females do, who have the same following, mm-hmm. who are making a quarter of the money. Yep, you know, and that's very sort of interesting and i'm i'm actually trying to change it for the men even though we're like a female-centric business like why is it who who who's you know what i mean like who's who's the authority there um that's a good question i think in terms of the categories of brands that are working with the males Mm -hmm. they're just spending less money money, so like the automotive brands are not spending Mm -hmm. as much money as some of the fashion brands are because it's harder to gauge yeah roi you know versus let's say a brand that has both so like Mm -hmm. coach you know that has Mm -hmm. both men's Mm -hmm. and women's will spend less on the male than on the females yeah definitely you know, Makes and sense. I think to be honest with you, we're so sort of used to that that we haven't really questioned it. Yeah. We just kind of mm-hmm. fight for as much money as, as we you can, can right. you know, just, right. mm-hmm. and never really gone to someone, a coach and said, well, why are you paying this person less than the female counterpart of that person? Mm-hmm. 
But then again, to be honest with you guys, where's their investment and where's their return is probably on the women's versus correct. So, so the male influencers, and I think just men in general, even finding male influencers who have predominantly a male audience, which is hard because a lot of times they have a female audience because, you know, they're Mm -hmm. cute and stylish and the girls are like, oh, I'm going to follow this male influencer and hopefully like get some style advice for him for my boyfriend, (laughs) you know, versus some of the other reasons why you'd follow them. There's not a lot of men who follow male influencers for shopping advice, right? And they don't drive as much ROI because men are not window shoppers in the same way women are. Men don't necessarily like care to have a new pair of jeans because they saw a cute pair of jeans. You know, they're only going to buy a pair of jeans if they need a pair of jeans and maybe they happen to see them and maybe they don't. So the men don't drive as much in terms of actual purchase making decision as the females do. So that has something to do with it. Yeah, they also have like a completely different mindset when they go shopping. Correct. So I could definitely see that. So coming up, the more personal side of Becca's story right after this. Welcome to the All Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. You can follow us on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. And episodes are available on our website, contentisyourbusiness.com, and wherever the best podcasts are found. Becca, let's get back to the vetting of the brands. How do you vet them? We know luxury is your business. Of course. But I know that's number one. Of course. But what's next? So there's a couple different um, ways that we vet brands that we'll work with. Of course, anyone that's an established brand that's Mm -hmm. desirable for the influencer will work with in any capacity. Um, A lot of times we'll actually even take significantly less money just to work with a specific brand. Mm -hmm. So we've had luxury brands come to us, and I'm talking caliber of like a Chanel, but not a Chanel, you know, come and work with us and say, we don't have a lot of money because we don't know if we believe in the space, but we have product. I know my influencers will take product from a Chanel, a Gucci, you know, a a Prada Mm -hmm. or whoever it is, right? So sometimes as an agency, I'm like, I want that client. I want to be able to say we've worked with them. 
I'll take the product on behalf of our influencers, even if the money isn't there. And so will our influencers, right? And then do you make a percentage of it or how how does that work? Yeah, so just as a general, we take an agency fee from everything that we do. So whatever the budget is, we take an agency fee for the strategy, the negotiation, the contracting, the executing, and the reporting of the entire campaign. So if it's less money right? We're just making less on the back end. Right. But it's better because then we can say we worked with this luxury brand. Then the influencer can say they worked with that luxury brand that just raises the caliber of everything. We have a lot of- social cred, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So we, so like personally, I love emerging brands, like Mm -hmm. sort of the younger, cooler, independent brands in any category, right? Mm -hmm. Fashion, beauty, accessories, whatever that looks like. Um, I come from that world. So when I was blogging, everything was about the emerging brands and I want to help these brands. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, they'll come to us and not even talking budget wise, right? Because we're very lucky to be in a position to be able to choose the projects we take. Like we don't need the dollars. So it's not about like, well, you have the money and you don't. It's very much about who is the right brand for the influencers that we work with because we don't want influencers promoting a brand that sort of we don't believe in right as an example a lot of emerging brands will come to us and say you know we need sales for our e-com right Mm -hmm. and i'll look at their website i'll look at their social channels i'll be like you have a really good product that has a lot of potential but your website or your e-com isn't there and your social channels aren't there so you can pay me a shit ton of money and i'll get every influencer talking about you but as we drive that audience back to your social channels or to your website they just won't convert right you know because you're not set up to capture that customer and if you're not set up to capture that customer then i just took your money Mm -hmm. and didn't do anything for you and now i have a client out there who's like i spent a ton of money and you didn't drive anything for me and you know i'm unhappy now and that's like my biggest fear right someone out there is being like social aid sucks and like they didn't drive anything for me and i hate influencers and influencer marketing sucks and like oh that's that's bad so what we typically do is try to help consult them and say before you can launch an influencer campaign why don't we work on the content on your instagram you know because if you just start in you have 1200 followers i can get the biggest influencer in beauty talking about your beauty product but as those people are clicking onto your instagram account mm-hmm. and they're seeing that you have six posts and no followers mm-hmm. they're just not going to convert because right. everything right now is about mm-hmm. that sort of you know, viral quality. Mm-hmm. And I also so, think there's something to be said about like the 10K that you mentioned before. So when somebody has like 10,000 mm-hmm. followers, when a brand has a minimum like of 10,000 followers. That is the benchmark for yeah. brands as well. Yeah. So I would rather consult that brand, mm-hmm. help them with the content, you know, sure. creation, help them create an editorial calendar mm-hmm. and help them get to that 10K before they spend money on the influencers right. yeah, because sense. it just won't drive the ROI and it won't be worth it. And then, of right. course, sometimes it's a brand that I'm just like, I'm not promoting another like luggage company that charges your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Like there's too many of you. You don't you're not a differentiator. And I don't want our influencers promoting mm-hmm. like one brand one day and then a week later they're promoting another brand that's the exact same thing that's a competitor. Right. It's not worth it for anybody, right? Then everyone's getting backlash. Right. 
So that's mm-hmm. sort of how we look at the brand space. And then, of course, like we've always declined um, anything related to cigarettes or e-smoking mm-hmm. uh, or tobacco, I guess. And we've always declined anything related to like sex or personal yeah. I guess whatever that category is called. Yeah. As much as I would love to work with condoms, it's just not. We've never figured out how to do it. Yeah. In like a politically correct, appropriate manner. It's not. Yeah. It's not even the politically correct thing. It's almost like tampons. Like we've never done a tampon, even though like Tampax has tons of money. Like I use tampons. Everyone uses tampons. There's some products that I think don't resonate well in terms of content Mm -hmm. if you can't really talk about it authentically and i think that's an example where eddie actually was saying you know if a luxury influencer talked about tampons would a gucci then not work with that influencer Mm -hmm. and what would the repercussions be Mm -hmm. of an influencer talking about those products that they do use every day and there's not like a luxury version of tampons right there isn't like the gucci of tampons where gucci would be like well at least she's using the gucci version of tampons (laughs) it's true yeah (laughs) no yeah totally i get it um, so I think it's a good time for us to maybe like switch gears and yeah. start talking more about your the personal side of things, um, getting cool. to know you a little bit better. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> if anyone knows yes. anyone. So this segment for us is about the story behind the storytellers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we typically like to like think about creative things uh, that make you you. So like what are your favorite books that you're reading right now? Okay, so I am one of those like kind of weirdos where I am obsessed with like human psychology. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I essentially read is about how the brain works. Um, you know, what makes us tick, what gives us our morals and values, kind of It sounds like my Audible right now. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Like I won't read like a novel. Right, right. It just I'm not interested. I think part of that has to do with, like, understanding marketing. So, like, understanding people so that Mm -hmm. I know how to better Mm -hmm. market to them. Yeah. But it's also mostly so I just know how to work with other people, right? right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I pride myself in knowing how to read people. That comes – First, like sort of to to the employees, you know, I've I've thirty people that work for me, humans as I call them. I love the term human. Thirty humans, all very young, all work for me. Like I like to know how they tick. I like to know how they work. I like to know what motivates them, what drives them, because that's what builds a successful company, right? It's not just about me anymore. It's really about them and the hard work that they do every single day on behalf of our clients and our influencers. And then it comes down to like understanding our influencers and what they want why are they in this you know are they looking for some free product and some free trips and experiences or are they really looking to build a business you know they don't always communicate it you kind of have to it's the first question we ask them when we vet them it's like you're a human sitting in front of me you Mm -hmm. create beautiful content you're beautiful like i get it Mm -hmm. what do you want Mm right you know are you just really looking for the experiences and to sit Mm -hmm. front row of fashion we can be cool or are you looking to launch your own brand do you want to be an emily weiss you know and if that's the case i want to get you there if you're looking for the free like cool stuff you don't need me like you can get there on your own honestly like you really don't need to give 20 percent of your business to an agency if you're just looking to travel the world for the next three years until you figure out what you're doing with your life is that part of the business model what 
that the vetting, it, vetting like, them for that, getting them to that, like where they're building an audience and then they're building, building a, a brand. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So that's where, I mean, we really see the longevity mm-hmm. for those say, people. Is that the, right. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's, it goes back to the storytelling, right? Like what are, what is the story that we're telling on behalf of these humans, on behalf of these brands? What are, what's the story that we're telling as a company who's been in the space longer than most other companies? Cause now everyone does influencer marketing, or at least they say they do, right? Every agency offers some version of influencer marketing. I've just been in it longer than most. And I come from the world where I was a blogger. And a lot of times, like, influencers will sit in front of me or I'll do interviews or I'll, you know, speak somewhere and someone will look at me and be like, look, you were a blogger at one point. And I was 12 years ago. I was a blogger. You know, they're like, why aren't you Ami? You know, why aren't you Song of Style? You could have done it. And yes, I could have. I could have a thousand percent been a personal style blogger. It was not interesting to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't love taking photos of myself. I don't love getting dressed up. I mean, I'm literally the most like basic human ever now, Um, you know, and I've loved fashion since I was 11. Like, if I could wear Marc Jacobs for the rest of my life, I a thousand percent would. It's just like, it's not how my brain works anymore. Like, I wake up every day and I'm like, how do I get one of those young entrepreneurs to the next level? Like, that's what excites me is building their business, you know, and just being a part of their journey because it just fulfills my life a bit more than me traveling for free. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. So social media is a big part of your life. It is. How do you... (laughs) Always on. Always on. So the first thing I do every single morning when I open my eyes at like 6.50 is look at Instagram for about two hours. And I follow thousands of people. Two hours on Instagram. Pretty much. Yeah. I look at everything and everyone, brands, influencers, like what they're doing, what they're posting. I like go into like rabbit holes because first I have to watch the stories. Then when I'm done with the stories, I have to go through the feed. And then when I'm in the feed, I have to click through things Mm -hmm. and click on brands and see what they're doing. And then by the time I get to the office, and this is after like, you know, walking my dog and having coffee and doing my morning workout, I get to the office and I'm like, guys. Like, found these three people, like, someone reach out to them. They look amazing. This is what these three brands are doing. Did you see that this brand did this? Like, you know, this was really cool. Did you see that now we can shop on Instagram? Like, I just, like, come in and I'm like, this is what's happening, like, in the world, you know? And then we, like, figure out how do we translate that to our influencers, to our clients, like, you know, through storytelling, like, and how do we utilize that information? And some days, like, I come home at 10 p.m. and I'm like, I don't know what happened in the world. Like, it's very strange that my entire life is based in social media, but, like, it's so based on these creators and what they're doing that some days I'm like, I need someone to tell me what happened in politics today or, like, entertainment or, Mm -hmm. like, what did Trump say today? Like, you know, where are we? Because I'm really honestly, like, so... In this, in this yeah, that some days I'm just like, what happened with the world mm-hmm. like today? Yeah, I, I and you. I feel bad because I honestly some days just like mm-hmm. really have no idea that like a tsunami hit somewhere yeah. in the world. I, I, and I that can, I hear that you. kind of sucks. But he, um, he had mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Um, you had mentioned these were pre-New York. Tattoos. Tattoos. Yeah. So um, yes, most of them pre-New York. I have five. Um, when I was 13, where, where are you from, though? I'm from Ukraine. Okay. So born and raised in Kiev, um, Soviet Union, like 
times, which were great. And then we immigrated to America in the mid 90s mm-hmm. with my family. Uh, went to high school in Cleveland, Ohio, but I don't like telling people that. Um, and then I moved to New York as soon as I could, basically. Wait, why don't you like telling people that? Because Cleveland sucks. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a cute, like, little suburban, like, town, mm. and, like, the city's an hour away. It's not really a city, like, if yeah. you think of what a city is. And it was fine. Like, I grew up in a cul-de-sac. Like, you know, we didn't do much. Like, there wasn't anything, like, happening. Right. Right. It was, like, t- typical suburban lifestyle. It just mm-hmm. wasn't interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I just, like, always wanted a big city sort of life. So I moved here when I was 21. Um, My parents said that the only way that they would financially support me is if I went back to school and got a real um, education. I have a fine art degree. I also have a fashion design degree, Mm -hmm. um, neither of which I currently use. My parents were like, do something like human, you know, (laughs) or my mom was like, marry rich. And I was like, okay, I'll try. (laughs) Whichever one works out, works out. So I went came here, went back to school for business, and then became a blogger and got married, not, you know, for money. Um, And that was basically it. Tattoos. 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 I missed it. Sorry. No, I was asking where you were from. So for where I was from. Yeah. yeah. So when I was 13, I thought it'd be a really good idea to get a tramp stamp. Which was awesome. I was just like, you know, I have to tell you, I love how forward you are with all of this. Like you own it. I, I can t- totally embrace that i love it i really do i really honestly like i've learned over the years that like if you look at your past and you regret anything you've done you're not who you are i agree right so this is also why i'm obsessed with like psychology books Mm -hmm. everything for me is about self-awareness the more self-aware you are the more informed your decisions will be moving forward, right? If you don't know things about yourself and you don't know how you'll react or you don't know how something will affect you, you can't make decisions. Mm -hmm. And I make 182 decisions a day. Mm -hmm. Hence why I'm also super basic because I don't know if you guys have- Steve Jobs, yep. Correct, yeah. I don't have the time to think about what to wear in the morning or what I'm eating that day. I like wake up and I need to make 50 decisions. So the more brain capacity I can say, Yes. And like I've noticed as I've gotten older, unfortunately, there's only so much information that sinks in. There's only so much Mm -hmm. information that processes and there's only so many like decisions I can make before I feel myself reaching a level of capacity. Mm -hmm. And if that happens to me before 830 p.m., I freak out Yeah, because like my day is not done. Not done. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So there's it, it just it comes down to that. So like, yeah, five tattoos. If I could erase them tomorrow and that was an easy thing to do i would a thousand percent do i regret them fuck no like i don't care two of them are are dedicated to my ex-husband they're there like they're a part of me it is what it is my tramp stamp doesn't mean what it was supposed to mean it's what happens when you get an asian symbol you find out later in life that it actually means detour it's great like whatever it's Uh. just it's there (laughs) i could get it covered up i could get it removed i don't have the time it doesn't matter yep i hear you so what's the best (laughs) way for people to connect with you (laughs) um email is probably best but okay. you can dm me on instagram i will most likely check it 18 more times throughout <laughs> the funny day because i'm very responsive through dm on instagram more so than i am on email i have a rule to respond to every piece of communication within 24 hours wow. 
So no matter where you like message me, mm-hmm. except for Facebook, I'm never on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like I will always respond. That's so true. email, text, text always, always. Wow. My inbox is always fully cleaned out, um, which people I can don't learn even. From you. <laughs> yeah. So well, there's a trick. We have um, an email tracking software throughout our entire company. So I probably shouldn't tell people this, but essentially um, it's really, really great. So not only does it track your emails, it's like if I email you, I can see whether or not you opened it, where you opened it from, right? Like mail tracker. So that's really helpful for sales and Mm -hmm. like for, you know, Mm -hmm. CRM related Mm -hmm. things. Um, That's actually the best when you like email someone, they looked at it 12 times in like 48 hours. I'm like, why haven't you responded? You looked at my email. Like, I don't want to stalk you. Um, But it also puts conversations into buckets. You know, you can snooze conversations. You can pop them back up. You can like start. There's just a lot of things you can do. And that helps because when Mm -hmm. I look at an inbox, I'm like, okay, I'm with you. You know. Okay, so Instagram handle. Instagram handle, Beck Alexander with mm-hmm. one C, which is really, really important. Mm-hmm. It's B-E-C-A. People always ask me why I have one C in my name. The funny story is when I was like starting out in the social digital world, um, and everyone's called me Becca for a really, really long time, Becca Alexander wasn't available anywhere like in terms of like it wasn't a website that was available i couldn't get the email wow. you know beck alexander yeah because apparently like it's a popular name which is really weird because it's yeah. actually a made-up name my name is not rebecca alexander um maybe a story for another time oh wow but oh, yes our interest we wanted to do version two of this yeah yeah um i dropped my last name a long time ago um and rebecca's my hebrew name but essentially like i couldn't get any of the social things and then at the time um, my business partner who I started the blog with was very much about SEO so he was like you need a name that people can easily google and not have like a ton of other competition so I was like okay why don't I just like drop the C in Becca because it's really not necessary and then A the website was available the Gmail was available the Facebook was available Twitter was available and then like SEO wise it was like I'm just going to be Becca with one C and like everyone will be able to find me yeah so awesome Thank you so much for being here. Thank we really you. This was awesome. It. Yeah. And we're actually going to have to do a version two because clearly there's more to the story. <laughs> there is. I actually, um, at some point, we should talk about like content and money distribution. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. We Thank talked you about this. So much. I know. Yeah. We did. So we covered a lot today, though. So, um, okay. So that's it for this episode of Content is Your Business. Everybody, we appreciate you being with us today. And uh, until next time with Edward Hertzman. Thank you for being here. And Lisa Berger. Thank you, Becca. This is Content is Your Business, and we can't wait to find out your story. You've been listening to Content is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show, or to become a sponsor, email us at contentshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, contentisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.